Hi, my name's Reverend Dr. Sally Douglas and I'm the minister at Richmond Uniting Church and you're welcome here. This is the audio reflection for Palm Sunday, the 10th of April, and we're focusing on the reading from Luke's Gospel. You might like to read that first. It's Luke 19, verses 28 to 40. Here we'll just have the reflection and you might like to accompany listening to this within your own prayer practices, silence or journaling or going for a walk or having conversation with others. Let's pray. Holy One, Sacred Three, please, through alchemy of great spirit, break open these ancient words for us and guide my speaking and all of our listening and reflecting that we may hear your voice to us. Through Jesus, the living word, we pray. Amen. So this story of Jesus coming into the city of Jerusalem on a colt or a donkey and the people calling out or waving branches or coats, it's a beloved story in the early Jesus communities. It's told across different gospels in slightly different ways, but it's significant. But what's possibly not so obvious for us as readers now is that here in Jesus' provocative actions of choosing to enter the city in this way on a donkey, Jesus is enacting what is prophesied in the past. So I just want to give you a little taste of this. In the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, there's this prophecy. Listen to this. It's from chapter 9. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout out loud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Lo, your king comes to you, triumphant and victorious is he, humble and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. And then the passage goes on. In verse 10, he will cut off the chariot of Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall command peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So while we might not know very much about these ancient promises, they're known and beloved at the time that Jesus chooses to enter the city in this way. The author of Matthew directly quotes from this passage. It's really linking the two together. So it's not a random choice that Jesus like, oh, I'm a bit tired. How will I enter into the city? Oh, I know, I'll get a donkey. Jesus is making a political statement, an embodied political sign. Now is the time. And what's more, we hear that people know what Jesus is up to. There's a reaction to Jesus doing this that is over the top. Now, what's interesting is that these ancient promises are not written in some glory days. There's continuing debate about when Zechariah is written, but maybe the 500s BCE, and people are in exile. There's occupation whether it be from Persian rule or if it's written earlier from Babylonian rule, which is even harsher on the people of Israel. It's not some time of peace and happiness where the king is actually reigning. They're under threat, under oppression, and this is a longing for the future. And now, hundreds of years later, as Jesus enters Jerusalem in this provocative way, embodying this promise of the future, The people of Israel are living under oppressive political regime again, the Roman Empire. 
So it's not just some happy story celebrating peace and freedom. It's occurring while chariots are driving through cities with untold wealth, while emperors are claiming to be divine, while incredible um, hardship happens. And Jesus knows that there are increasing plots to get him killed. In the context of all of this happening, Jesus chooses to come into the city openly in a way that is going to gain more attention and more anger from authorities. In this context, Jesus chooses to embody this ancient prophecy, saying without words, but proclaiming nonetheless, the one whose kingdom is so different to the rule of empires, the one who comes in peace, the true king is here. Jesus dares to suggest in his actions that he is the one who, quote, dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. And on some level, the crowds know this. It's no accident in Luke's gospel that they call out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. And that Jesus says, even the stones might call out. And the tension continues in the story, even though it's this wild moment of recognition and celebration. We know how this story ends. That within days... Will be at the foot of the cross. It looks like defeat. It looks like the empire wins. That while there might be peaceful protests, violence and oppression and injustice win the day. In these tensions, I think we see some of the most significant and important questions that we humans have. They also happen to be questions at the heart of Christian faith. Does evil win? Does violence win? Does brute force and injustice win? As we watch in horror the atrocities happening in Ukraine due to Russian forces, and as we know that violence continues in places like Ethiopia and Yemen and other places, but without all of the media attention, it is right that we ask, does violence win? What happens to the bullies? But the resounding, strange, scandalous, it is scandalous response of Christian faith is that in Jesus we see into the reality, into the heart of what actual power looks like, divine power. And in Jesus living and nonviolent dying and rising and rising in forgiveness, as the veil is pulled back and we see into the heart of God, we see into eternity, here we discover that divine power, ultimate power, is not violent or brutal like us. Instead, the force at the heart of the universe is love. And that this divine power that looks like failure, that looks like foolishness, as St. Paul says, it's actually stronger than all human violence, all empires, 
in Jesus living and dying and rising, we see that violence does not win. Brute force does not win. While the cross looks like defeat, the ending of the Jesus movement, after the cross, the risen life of Jesus could not be pinned down. Instead, this unexpected movement, this tiny little movement of radical non-violence and grace that we we see this little taste of today in Jesus' provocative actions of, of embodying the prophecy coming in on the donkey, it expands beyond just this local crowd on the streets of Jerusalem, beyond the um, not just the 12 disciples but the faithful women disciples as well. It expands beyond them who actually got to meet Jesus in person into tens and then hundreds and then thousands and then millions of faith communities, Jesus communities, down through the centuries who continue to be transformed by this crucified and risen one whose life and love could not be put out by empire, could not be ended by violence. The Babylonian Empire fell. The Persian Empire fell. The Roman Empire fell. All of them seem so huge and indestructible, but they all collapsed. And friends, the Russian Empire will fall as well. Putin's power will run out. His violence is already being exposed. He will be called to account, whether in this life or the life to come. And so will those who have supported him. But the power of the gospel, the power of divine love that we taste and experience and encounter in Jesus, the holy human one, the one whom empire violence could not destroy, it continues to reign. And we're called to join in with this energy, with this divine flow the power of the unexpected kingdom, the humble kingdom, the salty kingdom, the mustard seed kingdom, the kingdom that we pray to come on earth. So how do we, regular people or exceptional people, beloved people, how do we join in with this reign of God that is not seen with eyes but we see in actions? Or be to be committed to Jesus' way of nonviolence, the reign of the kingdom, is not a call into being passive. I think the word pacifist is a slippery one in English because it sounds so much like being passive, not acting, being a doormat when violence comes knocking. Jesus' actions are not passive, as this story really makes clear. Jesus is active and provocative, bold and daring. In choosing to come into the city, embodying this prophecy, riding in on the donkey, Jesus incites the rage of the authorities. In the midst of the violence of empire, Jesus chooses to embody a different reality to tell a new and ancient story of where real power resides, of how God reigns in peace and humility from the river to the sea in a power that cannot be controlled or defeated or put out by empire. So to be a follower of Christ, 
to send our allegiance and our lives in this direction, to go in this way, is to be active. It's to join in this telling of an alternate reality, divine reality, to be about dreaming bigger dreams and to proclaim in story and art and action and symbol fresh and ancient promises of peace, of restoration, of justice, of hope, to be to refuse to be crushed by the lies of violence and despair. It's so easy to focus on the negative, but I wonder if you can think of people through history and now who have, like Jesus, refused to be suffocated by the narratives, the constant lies of empires and politicians and the wealthy elite, who have refused to be pinned down by the enormity of the odds, the strength of empire and the littleness of their own place, and who have dared to dream out loud a new vision, a bigger vision and help others to see it and live into its possibilities. Clearly people like Martin Luther King and other civil rights activists have done this. In incredible odds against them, they dared to live and speak and tell of a bigger reality where black and white people were honoured with dignity. The suffragettes before them, incredible odds against them, standing up for the rights of women as people who were able to vote a hundred years ago. This was still so radical, but they dared to dream a bigger dream. People like Wilbur Wilberforce and others who stood against slavery, who told a new story. Here in Melbourne and around Australia, grandmothers protesting against refugee detention have refused to listen to the narratives of politicians and stood in solidarity with those who were being locked up and excluded. Advocates of safe injecting rooms saying, instead of demonizing those addicted to drugs, let's create health, let's create spaces for recovery. In huge and little ways, there are people everywhere who are daring to not be crushed by the dominance of empire by the lies that seek to destroy, that seek to say might is right, who seek to embody compassion and justice and inclusion. So two questions for us to take into this week as we get ready to journey into Holy Week. When we're tempted to be pinned down by the enormity of violence and suffering, One, who can be our friends, our companions, who we can join with in the work of resistance? It's the first question. So instead of being crushed by the suffering, who can be our friends and companions who we can join with in the work of resistance, of telling a different story, embodying a different story? Now, these friends might be living or dead. We might read about them and be inspired by them. We might know them personally. The communion of saints is wide, my friends, but we need to be intentional about seeking out those we will journey with. And the second question, how are we going to draw our strength from the non-violent power of Jesus, the reign of the incarnate living and crucified one who is with us 
Jesus is not just some idea to agree with or disagree with. How in our spiritual practices are we allowing ourselves to be nourished and transformed by this one whose reign is coursing through our world? Or are we too busy on Facebook or too stubborn saying, I'll do it myself? Or are we too crushed by all the bad news to be able to even look up? How will we allow ourselves to be fed and refined and strengthened and emboldened and challenged by the true Prince of Peace, the humble one who is here among us? Amen.